Psalm 100. The title for the sermon is a question. What is Thanksgiving? I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but this is November. It's the month of November. So it was daylight savings time, and I don't believe anybody was here early. Um, So that means everybody knew that. I didn't see anyone in the parking lot when I got here or anything of the sort. So uh, everyone figured that out, at least. I know there was an announcement last week. We remembered those things. Thanksgiving is a month that, or excuse me, November is a month that culminates with the holiday known as Thanksgiving. If I were to ask you to name various Christian holidays that we observe in a year, that the, the country still observes, probably you'd start out with Easter or maybe Christmas, and those two would be the top two on your list most likely. Rightfully so, these would be the first that would come to our mind. However, Thanksgiving is a distinctively Christian holiday as well. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you've thought about that or if you've ever even allowed it to to come into your mind around Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is a distinctively Christian holiday. I believe as we walk through the message today and as we walk through the series over the course of this month, we're going to see that. We're going to recognize exactly how Christian the holiday of Thanksgiving is. This message will begin a four-week mini-series. I'm going to stop in 1 Corinthians for a little bit, and we're going to begin a four-week mini-series on Thanksgiving on Sunday mornings. And as we do so, let me just state my goal. I'll state the goal this morning, the goal that is going to transcend the next four weeks, and it is this, that you and I would develop a greater heart of true thanksgiving to God for all that He has given to us, done for us, And that, as we walk throughout this month and as we walk throughout the course of our lives, our thanksgiving would take on a uniquely Christian quality so that all who see our thanksgiving would also see the object of our thanksgiving to be God alone. Let me repeat that whole phrase for you. My goal with these four weeks is that you and I would develop a greater heart of true thanksgiving to God for all that he has given to us and done for us, and that as we walk through this month and as we go throughout our lives, our thanksgiving would take on a uniquely Christian quality, so that all who see our thanksgiving would also see the object of our thanksgiving to be God alone. We'll talk about this a little bit more today and throughout the week's It's important that as we are a thankful people, as we live out lives of thankfulness, which we are commanded to do, we'll look at that next week, that we live out lives that are uniquely Christian in their thanksgiving and that people know when we say we are thankful that we are thankful to God. We'll talk about that. So, three characteristics of biblical thanksgiving this morning. What is Thanksgiving? We're going to answer that question through Psalm 100. It's only five verses. We're going to walk through the psalm, walk through it fairly quickly, but we'll understand some elements of Thanksgiving from Psalm 100, a very well-known psalm, and let's read it together. Please follow along as I read. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Three characteristics of biblical thanksgiving. The first characteristic we see in verse 1 this morning, thanksgiving is a determination. Thanksgiving is a determination. The command found in verse 1 of Psalm 100 is to make a joyful noise. The Hebrew word translated joyful noise would literally be understood as make a melody of thanksgiving. It is a sound in the form of joyful noise, joyful music, joyful melody that is lifted up in thanks. I suppose if we think of that idea of joyfulness, a joyful noise, it would behoove us, it would help us this morning to remember what joy is. What does the word joy mean when the Bible uses it? Biblical joy is very different from what we often think of the idea of happiness, we might say. Happiness is an emotion, and it is an emotion that is dependent upon the circumstances within which one finds himself. The basis for one's happiness is physical and circumstantial. When my wife and I lived in Florida before we owned a house and had children and all those expensive things, we owned a dog. We had a Siberian Husky. She was beautiful. She was the, the, the tawny brown and white. She wasn't the, the, the gray and white, but the brown and white. Deep blue eyes, almost that white color, the clear almost. And she, I mean, she was the stuff of, of show dogs. She was just a gorgeous husky. We would take her down to the park from time to time, to the dog park, and there would usually be one or two other huskies there. And she was by far the prettiest of the lot, uh, but she also was always claiming alpha, and she was very good at it. She was undersized. She was the runt of the litter, we would assume. She was a stray. Um, but she was, she was a small dog, but boy, she was feisty. Beautiful dog. We loved her. Her name was Chinook. Even in Florida... Believe it or not, there is a point where the weather turns cold. And I remember being down in Florida, and it would be in the fall, and we would have the hot and humid days, and then there would be that first morning where there was just that nip to the air. You know that nip, that, that coldness, where you just, it's different. I, yesterday, the temperature was 47. Today, the temperature is supposed to be 47, but there's a different 47 today than yesterday. There's that, there's that fall, winter-feeling nip to the air. That would happen in Florida as well, where you just go out and it kind of hits you. It kind of gets into your bones and you want a jacket and you want to put a, a scarf on and a hat on and some gloves on because there's that nip to the air. Well, that first day, the first day that there was that nip in the air, something happened to our husky. Happens to most huskies from what I understand. She changed. She would get so excited. She would feel that nip to the air. Huskies are, are, are cold weather dogs. And she would get so excited and she would just be, we'd let her out and she'd be jumping around and twirling in the yard and, and there would be an entirely different demeanor on our husky's face and in our husky's actions because of this coolness to the air. The circumstances that were surrounding our husky's situation caused a happiness that resulted in spontaneous excitement. It was a happy dog. Biblical joy is somewhat different from this. See, 
our dog's response didn't happen in the middle of summer when it was 95 degrees. Our dog's response didn't happen in September when the temperatures were getting down but there wasn't that nip. It was the day that there was that first cool nip to the air that the husky's demeanor, the happiness, the excitement arose. Biblical joy, on the other hand, is not an emotion as much as it is a disposition. Biblical joy is not so much an emotion based upon circumstances as much as it is a disposition based upon determination. Biblical joy transcends circumstances and rests upon spiritual realities, not physical realities, spiritual realities. Biblical joy does not rest upon circumstances, it rests upon God. And so, the man, the woman, the child, who has their faith and trust in an unfailing, unchanging, faithful God, through the blood of his son Jesus Christ, is a person that is capable of having perpetual joy regardless of circumstances. We talked about this a great deal during our Job series. Regardless of circumstances, and even in spite of our circumstances, we can have joy because our joy rests not in the circumstances that are around us, not in our emotions, not in how we're feeling that day, but our joy rests in the object of our faith, the object of our security, the object of our joy, who is the unchanging God. There are days where I'm happy. There are days where I'm not happy. There are good days and there are bad days. I can't say as though there's anyone in this room that can say, Pastor, I've never had a bad day. Happy, perpetually, 24-7, 365, I am a happy person. It seems like some people are like that, doesn't it? Some people are like, why are they always so happy? Why? Just, they need to tone it down a little bit. Maybe not. But, there are people that, that seem pretty happy, but you know they have their bad days too, don't they? We can't always be happy because circumstances don't allow us always to be happy. But, joy doesn't rest on circumstances. Joy doesn't rest on emotions. Joy is a disposition based upon determination. The implications of biblical joy upon the determination of our thanksgiving is twofold. See, thanksgiving, this is our point, thanksgiving is a determination. What is Thanksgiving? It's a determination. It's something I determine to do. It's not something I'm always going to feel. It is something, however, I can always have. So the implications of biblical joy upon the determination of our Thanksgiving. Number one, the joyful noise of Thanksgiving does not depend on how we are feeling or the circumstances we are in. A joyful noise is determined. It's commanded. Make a joyful noise. I don't know how you felt coming in this morning. I know there are some people in this room that are not feeling well. They're sick. They're injured. There are some people that are not here because they're not feeling well. There are some people that maybe you just didn't get a good night's rest last night and you're a little bit tired and you're a little bit weary. Maybe you have a little bit of a headache. Maybe you've had a really busy week and you're a little bit sore. You're a little bit achy. 
Maybe you've been driving for a whole bunch of hours and you're just ready to not drive anymore and you know that driving is coming up again and you're not excited about it. Maybe you're not happy this morning, but you could still come here. You can still see that there's a God in heaven. You can still see that God is on the throne. You can still see the blessings that God has given to you and you can make a joyful noise. And, interestingly enough, oftentimes when we make a determined joyful noise, it does affect our emotions, doesn't it? Our emotions conform themselves to our determined disposition. We're determined to make a joyful noise unto God, to be joyful to God because of who He is, and that in turn will reflect in our happiness. The joyful noise of thanksgiving does not demand that we leave with a particular feeling of happiness or even necessarily encouragement as we have made a joyful noise and we go from these doors. Joy is about who we are in God, not how we feel in and of ourselves. And let me just take a, a side light here. We're speaking of making a joyful noise, singing a melody unto the Lord. So let's talk about singing for a moment. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about what we do every week when we open the hymnals or we look at that overhead and we sing songs to God. Over the course of my pastorate, I've had some people that have come and they've enjoyed our services and they've left and we've talked with them and over the course of time, they've expressed a concern to me. They say, Pastor, we love the teaching, we love this part, we love the people, all these things, but your music, it's old and I don't leave feeling encouraged. It's not a tune that I can tap my foot to as I'm going through the week. And there's, I, I just, I, I feel like worship should encourage me more. I should feel better leaving. And typically speaking, a lot of people that have come and gone as I've talked to them, it's been this idea of the music that we have here. And what I respond to them is this. That happiness... The emotion with which you leave the sanctuary is not an accurate gauge of worship. Do you know that? The emotion with which you leave the sanctuary is not an accurate gauge of whether worship was done that day. Circumstantial happiness is not even a proper standard to which worship should aim. You don't always leave feeling good after worship, nor is that our aim with worship. Far from happiness. Our worship through music should be a joyful noise, a melody pointed toward establishing in the heart of every believer true joy. It should give us a greater understanding of who God is, who we are in God, and how we ought to respond to God. And see, that's not always a happy thing, is it? Perhaps you come into the sanctuary this morning and there's sin in your life. Or perhaps you've come into the sanctuary this morning and you've, you, you had a, an argument with your wife or with your boss or you said something to your children that you really shouldn't have said and now you're being stubborn and not apologizing and not humbling yourself before them and telling them you were wrong. And you came in with these things in your heart and as you sang the song of the love of God which transcends all love, which could not fill the scroll, if it were the, the breadth and length of the skies, and if the ocean were an inkwell, we'd run out of ink before we could write the love of God in a scroll the size of the sky. And you said, you know what? Ephesians tells me to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And maybe your proper worship of God 
the joyful noise that you made to God is not going to leave you feeling good and encouraged and excited. Maybe it's going to leave you feeling humbled and unworthy and with a determination that you need to get some things right with God and with your wife. See, worship doesn't have to send us on our way feeling bubbly and happy. That's not worship. That's not our aim. And that's not always the case. Worship should point us to God. Give us a greater understanding of who God is, who we are in God, and who we are in light of who God is. And if you cannot find joy in that, even when it sometimes humbles us, even when it sometimes uh, makes us less than happy, if you can't find joy in it, then you're not looking very hard. If you can't find joy in the songs that we sing, if you can't find joy when we sing the Psalms, Psalm 95 this morning, if you can't find joy when we make these melodies in our heart to the Lord, then you're not looking very hard. Well, the command was to make a joyful noise. Is that it? No. Look at your verse again. Verse 1. Make a joyful noise to who? To the others around you? No. Unto the Lord, the Scriptures tell us. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. The sound of thanksgiving is a command to be lifted not to ourselves, but unto God. Now, there are other times in Scripture, in Ephesians and Colossians, where we are called upon to sing, to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. So there is a corporate ministerial aspect to it. But here in Psalm 100, we are called to make a joyful noise, to make that song of thanksgiving to God, not to ourselves. See, the joyful noise, the singing, the worship, is not about me leaving feeling good. It's about me thanking the God of the universe. Worship has nothing to do with us. Worship has everything to do with giving worth unto God. And if we trace that understanding, we quickly recognize that the standard for good worship has nothing to do with us or has nothing to do with what is in us but has everything to do with God, how it reflects Him, and how it praises Him. Psalm 115, verse 1 says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory, for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. True worship, then, is not something that is always easy to do. And why is it not always easy? Well, because as we see in this first point, thanksgiving, worship through thanksgiving, thanksgiving through worship, is a determination. It's something that we, we choose to do. We determine in our hearts that we're going to give thanks to God that we're going to be thankful, that we are going to recognize what God has done for us, and we are going to give Him the glory that is due to His name. We are going to give Him the worth that is due to His name for what He has done. And it's not that I feel like doing it, and it's not that I always want to do it, but I'm determined to do it because it's right, and because He's worthy. Thanksgiving is a determination. Number two, second point in verses two and three, Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. In the context of joyful thanksgiving, we see two commands given. We're called to make a joyful noise, and then in verses 2 and 3, we see two other commands. Serve the Lord, in verse 2, with gladness. And then in verse 3, know ye that the Lord, He is God. 
The psalm writer assumes that those who hear his rejoicing are men, women, and children who serve and who know God. And to those who are serving the Lord, and to those who know God, the psalmist says, well, to those who serve the Lord, in verse 2 he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. See, service, service is an essential and almost assumed part of the Christian life. The entire body of New Testament and Old Testament scripture functions under two primary assertions. These are the two primary assertions with which the, the New Testament functions under, or one of these two, excuse me, one of these two primary assertions. Number one, either you are walking with God in fellowship and you are therefore serving Him, or number two, if you're a believer, you are not walking with God in fellowship and you need to get back into fellowship with Him so you can serve Him. Those are the two assumptions. You are either right with God and therefore serving God, or you're not right with God, you're not serving God, you're serving yourself instead, and you need to stop serving yourself and start serving God. It's one or the other. That's kind of the foundational idea. If you're an unbeliever, then you're not pleasing God, you're not serving God, you're not in fellowship with God, and you need to, to get right with God. You need to accept Christ as your personal Savior. You need to bring forth those works, meet unto repentance, and you need to get right and start serving God. If you are a believer, then you need to be in fellowship with God. If you're not in fellowship with God, then you need to, do, need to repent and get right and get in fellowship with God. These are the two assumptions. One of those two. Does it ever amaze you as you think about that? That we are given the privilege and even the expectation of serving God of being in fellowship with God, of abiding in Christ. We're looking in our Tuesday evening service, we're studying through 1 John. And as we study through 1 John, we recognize very quickly that the book of 1 John is a book that is entirely focused on fellowship. It's to believers, it's not to unbelievers, and it's entirely focused on how a believer can have right fellowship with God through holy, sanctified living and confession of sin. And as we think about this, we can only marvel that at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God came to reside within you so that every effort, every emotion, every thought has the potential of working within the framework of God's revealed will through His gracious enablement unto the glory of God through the power of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that you have the Holy Spirit within you and so that as we learn in Galatians chapter 5, you can bear the fruit of the Spirit? That while this entire world is consumed with lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, where everything in the world is tending toward these purposes of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, the, of the eyes, and the pride of life, you through the Holy Spirit can live differently. You can live as a kingdom citizen, the kingdom of God, that which we are looking for one day, that which Jesus Christ will usher in at the second coming. You can live that life, a sanctified life, a life that pleases God, not in your own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing concept. For some, we aren't amazed though. For some, you go through your days and you don't see much of a difference between you and those around you because you have so effectively quenched the Spirit of God. You have so strongly grieved the Spirit of God that like Samson in the Old Testament, 
you can't even discern the Spirit's leading or recognize the Spirit's power in your life. You haven't seen the Spirit's power in your life for so long, you don't even know what it would look like if it came, but you know that you've lived without it. And you don't, you don't have any discernment of it. When Samson's hair was cut, it says he arose and he went out as before, but the power, his power had been taken away from him because he had broken that Nazarite vow and he didn't even recognize that the Spirit of God had come off of him because he had so calloused himself to the expectations of God. If you are a believer, make no mistake, God is there. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and He expects you to serve Him. He expects your lifestyle to be built upon dedication to His will. And as you serve Him, the psalmist says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Serve Him with joy. Serve Him with thanksgiving. See, because it's a privilege to serve the King of Kings. And the second command is found in verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. As you serve with gladness, as you come before His presence with thanksgiving, take note of something. Take note that it is He that hath made us, verse 3, and not we ourselves. And take note that we are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. Jesus spoke in John 10 about His role as the Good Shepherd. He said in John 10.14 this, I am the Good Shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He knows us, but rejoice because it's not, that, it's not just that He knows us, but He said, and am known of mine. See, He doesn't just know you. You can know Him. You can know God. You can serve Him. You can know Him. You can rejoice in Him. And as you make service to God your lifestyle, this service will come with thanksgiving. See, because thanksgiving is, number one, it's a determination. It's something that we determine to do. But number two, as you recognize who you are in Christ, what God has given to you, who God is, the fact that He knows you, but also the fact that you know Him, you serve Him with your life, and thanksgiving doesn't just become a one-time thing. Thanksgiving is not just something you come and you do on Sunday morning between 10 and 11.30. Thanksgiving is not something that you just do when you sit down for your evening meal and you bow your head and you thank the Lord for the food. Thanksgiving becomes a lifestyle. Thanksgiving becomes everything that you have, everything that you do, every element of health, every element of prosperity, even the afflictions and the sufferings and the persecutions that you would endure for Christ's sake become a element of thanksgiving, determined lifestyle of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a determination. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. Third and finally, from this verse, from this passage, excuse me, this psalm, we see that thanksgiving is giving credit to whom credit is due. Thanksgiving is credit where credit is due. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Thanksgiving is credit where credit is due. The call is reiterated and heightened in verse 4. Have you ever noticed 
the repetition and build up in these verses. Verse 1, make a joyful noise, the Bible says. Verse 2, serve with gladness, enter with thanksgiving, with singing. Verse 4, enter with thanksgiving, with praise, and bless His name. So we make a noise, we enter with singing, then we enter with thanksgiving, with gladness, then we bless His name, come before His uh, God with this thanksgiving, abide in God with thanksgiving, bless and honor God with thanksgiving. It's climaxing, it's culminating. Thanksgiving is everywhere. Joy is everywhere. And why? How can this be? Why should this be? Why must we have a determined, consistent lifestyle of thanksgiving? Well, verse 5 is our answer. Folks, because the Lord is good. Because your God is good. What is thanksgiving? What is it really about? What is it? Why should we do it? For the Lord is good. Four. This is a coordinating conjunction which is used here to denote purpose. The purpose. Why should I make a joyful noise? Why should I serve the Lord with gladness? Why should I abide with singing? Why should I enter in with thanksgiving? Why should I enter in with praise? Why should I bless His name? Why should I be thankful? What is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is giving credit where credit is due. I should do these things because the Lord is good, because His mercy is everlasting, and because His truth endures forever. Let's talk about it. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Is the Lord good? Is God good? You woke up this morning, right? You did. You're here. Some of you went back to sleep, but you woke up this morning. You got out of bed. You walked into your closet. You turned lights on. Maybe you turned the thermostat up because it was a little chilly in the house this morning. You decided what you were going to wear to church today. You opened your fridge and you wondered what you should have for breakfast this morning. You got in your car, perhaps. You drove to church. You're sitting there in padded seats in a climate-controlled room. You can read somewhat with the lights that we have in here. You can see me. You can hear me through amplification. We can put things up on the screen behind us. You hold a Bible in your hands that's faithfully translated in your own language. Your health, your provision, the beauty of this earth, the simplicity as well as the complexity, it's all from God. See, the Lord is good. You've been provided for. You've been blessed. These blessings may fall on the just and the unjust, but they're still blessings from God. And the Lord is good. And you know, because the Lord is good, you need to give credit to whom credit is due. See, how dare we? not lift our thanksgiving up to God because we're having a bad day. My car broke down today and so I'm upset. There's nothing with which to give thanksgiving to God. My car broke down today. Well, did you give God thanksgiving that there was a second car in your garage that could come and pick you up? Did you give God thanksgiving that you have enough in your bank account to take it to the mechanic and get it fixed? Or that you know how to fix it yourself and you're you have spent these years learning and understanding and you know what? You fixed it. And you know what needs to be done and you can get the part and you can fix your car. 
Did you give God the thanksgiving that it couldn't, that it wasn't worse? That you can fix it instead of having to buy a new car? See, see, thanksgiving is always there because the Lord is good. And if we're determined in our thanksgiving, and if thanksgiving becomes a lifestyle, then even if we're not very happy that day, and even if bad things happen, we recognize how much good has happened. Because the Lord is good. Number two, the Lord mercy is everlasting. That's what it says here. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Every man, every woman, every child in this room who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior has a special gift. Even if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, you've had a gift purchased for you. In a little while, we're going to observe the Lord's table. As we do so, we are going to be thanking God as a memorial and as fellowship for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the body which was broken for us, for the blood which was spilled for our sins. Everyone in this room, everyone in Buffalo, Minnesota, everyone in the United States, everyone in the world has had their sins bought and paid for by the God of the universe through the blood of Jesus Christ. That same God has offered to cover your sin through not any work of your own, but through accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So that any man, woman, or child who will recognize that they are a sinner, who will recognize their need, who will see that their sin has condemned them to an eternity in hell, but who recognizes that Jesus Christ has indeed paid the price and is holding out the gift of salvation, may accept that gift freely of themselves, be saved from their sin, and be translated from death and hell to life everlasting. See, the Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever. His mercy is everlasting. And you know what? Not only did God pay the price, not only did God make a way for you to do what you could not do yourself, but then God is delaying His judgment long enough that not just you, but all of those that are out around us right now who are lost and dying and on their way to hell still have a chance until their last breath or until the day Jesus Christ returns for His saints. They still have a chance to be saved. The Lord's mercy is everlasting. The Lord is good. Third and finally in this verse, it says, His truth endureth to all generations. There are very few things in life as unsettling or even terrifying as groping around in darkness. I don't know of anyone that enjoys groping around in darkness. Have you ever been in a room that has no windows and somebody decided to flip the light off on you and you weren't expecting it, you don't have your bearings, you don't know where you're going, you don't know which way to go. There are other there are things in the room, there are people in the room and you're tripping over things. This is tough at night when you have little kids, Legos all over the floor and you're stepping on things and tripping over things. You don't know what's in front of you. Even if, even if you have a clean house, you don't know what the kid just put right in your path right before they went to bed that you're going to trip over in the middle of the night. It's, it's, it, we, can, we can be kind of funny with it, but it's not a fun thing, is it? To be groping around in darkness, not knowing where you're going, not having any sense of direction. Isn't that terrible? When you have no sense of direction, you don't know which way is which. You're completely lost. It's really a terrible thing. 
How wonderful is it when we can flick on a light, when we can gain our bearings, when we can see what's around us, when we know where we are. Wouldn't it be terrible if God had never given us truth? So many people in this world grope around in darkness and they're walking around like this and they're feeling their way and they're going from thing to thing and they're feeling it and they're determining, yeah, this is, this is what I think it is and they're, they're feeling all the corners and they're saying, this is a, this is a Winnebago here. Yep, yeah, okay, this is a Winnebago and they're going over here and okay, that, that, that kind of feels like a dresser. This must be a dresser. And they're going through their lives feeling their way through and then determining for themselves in the darkness what is right and what's wrong, determining for themselves in the darkness what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And you know, when the light of Jesus Christ enters your life through salvation, God flicks on the light and you say, oh look, this is a pulpit, not a Winnebago. Oh look, this is a piano, it's not a dresser. And so now there's a world around you that's trying to tell you that right is wrong and wrong is right because they're groping around in the darkness and they can't see a thing. And you have the light flicked on and you say, I know what that is. I'm not going to be fooled. You can't tell me that this is a Winnebago because this is a pulpit. Truth. What a wonderful thing truth is. And you see, not only do we have truth, but the truth is everlasting. It was the same yesterday as it is today as it will be tomorrow. Truth is not subjective. Truth does not change. Truth is not something that all of a sudden God is going to send a new revelation, which people are saying all the time. New revelation that contradicts the Bible. The Bible does not need to be our source of truth. God's not going to do that. He said in His Word He's never going to do that. God has given His truth. It is once for all written, and it's there for us for every generation. Truth. It's our light. It's our lamp. It's how we walk. It's how we know what is what and what is not. And you know, the world will grope around in darkness and sometimes they'll feel around enough and they'll actually figure out what something is. And what Christians have been saying for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, finally the world will figure something out until the next generation comes along and they decide to forget what that was and they redefine it again. We don't have to live like that. Because His truth endureth to all generations. It's settled in heaven. It is unchanging. Man may misrepresent the truth. Man may distort the truth. Man may confuse the truth. Man may reject the truth. But it doesn't change the fact that it's truth. It's always there. It's always the same. For better or for worse. It's not going to change when you don't obey the truth. It's going to be as much for you in righteousness as it will be against you in unrighteousness. My girls have expectations upon them. Certain things they can touch, certain things they can't touch. You know what my wife and I have found as we, being fallible parents, fluctuate in the degree to which we are disciplined in our expectations. They have rules. They may not touch certain things. There will be times where they'll touch it and instead of disciplining them, We'll tell them again, don't touch it. Well, they know not to touch it. They should be disciplined. But we'll, I don't, oh, she's so happy right now. Or I don't feel like it. I'm just tired. I don't want to have to deal with it right now. I'll just tell them again. And you know, what we found is when we are not consistent in our discipline, 
our girls are not as happy. When they have boundaries, and when they know their boundaries, and when they are held accountable for their boundaries, they're the happiest girls in the world. Because not only does that tell them what they can't do, but it gives them the freedom to do to, to work within the boundaries. They know that as long as I stay within these boundaries, I can do, I can do what I like. Within the boundaries, obviously. I can do what I like. That's the freedom that comes with boundaries. Well, God has given us the same freedom. He's given us His Word. He's given us the boundaries. And He has said, just like with Adam and Eve in the garden, you may eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. He'd given them their boundaries and what joy they have in the boundaries that they had. My girls are content in their boundaries. So too we can be so content because we have truth. We know that truth. We understand that truth and we can live within the boundaries of that truth. What freedom. See, God's word is not a shackle that binds us God's Word is the freedom that allows us to live within the revelation of God's revealed will. We are free because we keep His law. Did the psalmist not say that? And I will walk at liberty because I keep thy precepts? I will be free because I know the boundaries and I can operate within the boundaries. What freedom. What joy. What contentment when we have the boundaries. We have a God that will hold us to those boundaries and we know how to operate within them. This is the truth that God has given to us in His Word. Why should we be thankful? Well, the Lord is good. You're healthy. Probably. You're here. You have many blessings. The Lord is good. Be thankful. His mercy endures to all generations. You have been given salvation by grace through faith and the world around you has been given it if only they will accept it. Be thankful. His truth endureth to all generations. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God's truth is here for us. So you know what? Regardless of the circumstances in your life, regardless of whether you are happy or not, Psalm 100 has made a pretty solid case that there is no reason why anyone in this room should ever fail to have a life of determined, consistent thanksgiving unto God. Giving credit to whom credit is due. Thanksgiving is a holiday that will be celebrated by the vast majority of Americans. But it's one which will be lost on most of them. They will reflect nebulous ideas of being thankful to nothing in particular for the things that they have in their lives. But we, we have an opportunity to do something different. We have an opportunity to reflect distinction in our thanksgiving. See, it's not just that we're thankful. We're thankful to God. We are thankful to God, for the Lord is good, for His mercy is everlasting, for His truth endureth all generations. We know the object of our thanksgiving, not just intellectually, but personally. The God from whom all blessings flow is not just your provider, He is your sustainer and your Savior. He is not just that God 
who is a part of what you are thankful for. He is the very object, the very source of all thanksgiving. Now, we'll see next week in our commands that we as believers ought to be thankful at all times. But there's something very right and very good about setting aside time to be doubly thankful to God. Thanksgiving is a good thing. This day that will be coming up on November 28th, it's a good thing. Let's allow our hearts as we step into this month of November to be a month focused on Thanksgiving. Let's purpose be determined to reflect a spirit of thanksgiving to God, consistent thanksgiving to God for all that He has blessed us with. And let's make sure that those who are around us know not just that we are thankful, but who we are thankful unto for the things that we have been given. Thankful to God and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.